When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Don't dial right this second, though, because all those lines are taken, but we'll have one available for you very shortly. Because we're going to talk to David and Mariano and Pat and Sid. Each time I I finish with one caller, that opens up an opportunity for you. So uh, just be ready to dial. And let's talk to David. Good morning, David. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, I live in Aquarius. I got an avocado tree and all my leaves are falling off of it. I was wondering what I was doing wrong. <laughs> Is this a new tree, an old tree? How long have you had it? Uh, I've had it for about, oh, I bought it last summer, so it's about uh-huh. a year now. It's about five foot tall, maybe inch and a half in diameter. Okay. And are the leaves turning yellow and falling off, or are they falling off green? They're turning not yellow, but like a bright yellow, you know, bright green, light green. Okay. And they just fall off at the on the on the, the off the tree. You know, right the okay. As I always, you know, tell you, you want to be sure the trunk's not buried. That's not all the problem, but it's it's a water issue. Anytime you've got a tree just dropping leaves like that, uh, it is a usually a problem where. Either they're not getting watered often enough or more often, it's they're not getting watered deeply enough. Uh, I know it seems like we've had rains, but we haven't had a good, most of us haven't had a good soaking rain, oh gosh, in several months. So you need to be sure that when you water that tree that you really, really, really soak it. Uh, then you want to let it go till the soil's dry about half an inch deep and then really soak it again. If you have a little... Uh, Super Thrive, if you had a little Garrett juice, I would probably use it next time you water the tree. But dropping the leaves is almost always an issue of water, and it's almost always too little water. Now, when the leaves turn brown and stay on the tree, that's a very bad sign. When the tree just drops a bunch of leaves, it's just telling you it's unhappy, but it's still alive and still very much able to come out again. So um, I'd, I'd adjust your watering. I'd give it a little uh, Super Thrive or a little Garrett juice and you should have new leaves appear within two or three leaves weeks on the tree. Okay, well, I've used that uh, Medina's with the seaweed, and then I've used that Espuma citrus on it. Yeah. Um, that's, and those are good fertilizers. The, the Garrett Juice or the Super Thrive, they are, you know, anytime a plant's in a little bit of a shock situation, which I definitely say this avocado is, uh, they will help. They're not really a fertilizer. The, uh, uh, oh gosh, it, it just, it, it helps get the plants over the brink of the problem and start putting some uh, foliage back on. Your Spoma's great fertilizer, your Medina products, all of them are good. But uh, in this case, I give it just, in effect, a little shot in the arm with one or the other. Watch your watering, and it should come back out for you very strong. All right. I guess I have to go hit old pull-up here in a little while. 
<laughs> well, they're good people, and they'll be happy to see you. And uh, you tell them I said hello. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome, David. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Mariano's up next. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you Good doing, morning. Bob? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great, sir. It's very Fantastic. Nice to talk to you. I just had a question. I'm a driver, and I've seen some uh, trees over by North Carolina, Virginia area. I, I believe they're called white dogwood. Yes, uh huh. Flower, flowering I'm, dogwoods, a more common name. Okay. I was wondering, I live down in Eagle Pass, Texas. I was <laughs> wondering if those trees can grow there. If you work hard enough at it, they can. But here, here are the two things they need, Mariano. They need to grow in a complete shade, uh, bright shade, but they will not take the hot summer sun. Uh, in San Antonio or Eagle Pass, I always laugh. I, my little sister and family live in Saldillo and have for forever, and uh, they, they always call it Eagle Pass. <laughs> but Eagle Pass, your summers, uh, they your, your flowering dogwood does not want uh, okay. the I'm, full I'm, hot sun. I'm kind of losing you there. Okay, well, the two things are you want it growing in the shade, and you want to really improve the soil, lots and lots and lots of compost in the soil. You do those two things and uh, water properly, and you can grow a flowering dogwood. It's not going to look like they do in North Carolina, but you'll do. You'll grow a pretty one in a shady spot uh, in Eagle Pass. Okay, appreciate that, sir. Uh, you stay safe on the road out there, and thanks for all you do to keep the country rolling. I sure do appreciate it, Mariano. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Bye. All right, let's talk to Pat. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Martin's off to a good start. Gosh, it was cool. It was starry. It was it was really nice when I left home, and uh, it still is. I think it's going to be a nice day. Certainly not as hot as yesterday, and I know I don't know what the official high was, but my car said it was over 100 degrees when I left the nursery. So looking forward to today when it's going to be about 20 degrees lower. So uh, today's going to be a great day. I agree. Anyway, I've got another question about avocado trees. I've got yes, two sir. trees. They're probably six feet tall. They're healthy. They're they're more, I would call them bushes, more bushes than trees. Right. Uh, I think they were given to me by a friend, and I, I think they're about three years old, but uh, there's no fruit. When, when could we expect fruit? Do you know where your friend got them? Did your friend grow them from a seed, or did your friend purchase them somewhere? I don't know. Okay. Well, here's the reason that that's an important question. And um, when a plant is grown from a seed, it doesn't matter whether it's a flower or a pecan tree or an avocado tree or whatever else, but they have to reach a certain degree of physiological maturity before they can reproduce. And that's what, you know, flowering and fruiting is all about. Uh, It's just like I may have a bull calf that weighs 600 pounds, but he's not mature. He's not going to be able to do his job as a bull so to speak and a tree grown from a seed is the same way and an avocado tree sometimes needs to be as much as six or seven years old before it matures to the point it can be a big tree before it becomes mature enough to reproduce now when you go to the nursery and buy an avocado it's almost always a grafted tree and the amazing thing is that if the the tree that the graft would have taken 
taken from is a mature tree. And even if you take a bud, even if you are doing a whip craft and you take just a six-inch piece from that mature tree, it's already gone through the maturing process, and it can produce you know flowers and fruit the first year. So my guess is if you've had these for some time and they haven't bloomed and made fruit, they are probably something that your friend grew from a seed, and you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. My second concern is that if it's grown from a grocery store avocado, it's not going to be nearly as cold hardy as the so-called Mexican avocados, varieties like Opal and Joey, and there are about half a dozen good ones out there. And so until we know a little bit more about what kind of avocado this is, I would be prepared to protect it if we get a really tough winter if we get really really cold because uh the haas the calavos the things that come from the grocery store are not that cold hardy so at this point it's going to take some patience it's going to you know take some taking care of them in the winter months but you will get there there used to be uh i believe it's craft center downtown san antonio and i don't know if it's still there they had a a tree grown from a grocery store seed that was probably 25, 30 feet tall on a protected side of the building, and that thing was just loaded with fruit every year. So hang in there. You know, the, the guacamole is coming, but uh, if it is a seed-grown tree, you, you you may have to rely on uh, old Mr. Bud at HEB to, uh, to provide you with avocados for the next year or two, but you'll get there. All right, Bob, that makes sense. I really appreciate it. I'll call you back in about three years. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Sid and Holly and Jeff and uh, Jamie. So uh, Sid's up first. Good morning, Sid. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. I just wanted to call and compliment you on the, the way that your phone service works. Because uh, I, I needed to get some uh, no low and and uh, some nematodes yesterday. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I was in line there for maybe three minutes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That young lady that came out there. I mean, she was jumping through hoops servicing it. <laughs> well, it was it- hot. It's well, we uh, you know we considered a privilege to be open. Uh, so glad they decided we were an essential business, and it's uh, most people, quite honestly, want to come look around the nursery, which they certainly can do as long as we do the social distancing, because it's just such a such such a beautiful place. But people that for one reason or another would rather just drive through and pick up. Now, on the weekends, as crazy as it gets around here, we're pretty much going to do for the for the drive-through we're just going to do dry goods and nematodes uh you know like you were saying the compost fertilizer things like that during the week we still can go out and select and get plants together and things but i appreciate the compliment i will certainly pass it along to them and uh of course we appreciate your patronage more than you know sid it's just uh it's it's not an easy time for anybody. Fortunately, we haven't laid anybody off or furloughed anybody. We still make payroll every week at full wages, so we feel very blessed to be in that situation because, sadly, there are a lot of people that aren't able to do that, but we're sure pleased that we can, and uh, people like you keeping us going, supporting us, is what makes it possible. 
Now, I have a question on the NOLO. Okay. Uh, I'm noticing those little bitty grasshoppers now and a few crickets. And, uh-huh. uh they're They're actually in the garden, mm-hmm. uh, in the, the raised bed. Now, okay. where should I put the NOLO? Everywhere. Just, uh, I will sometimes just pick a windy day and go out there, the upwind part of the garden. I just kind of throw it up in the air and let the wind take it and distribute it. It doesn't take a whole lot. It is a bait, and of course it has the bacteria, the Nosema locustri, on it, which doesn't outright kill the grasshoppers. It sickens them, they stop feeding, and then grasshoppers are highly cannibalistic. The other grasshoppers eat the ones that have picked up the bacteria. They get the bacteria, and... Uh, and everybody, you know, everything gets better because grasshoppers start dying out. But getting it out while the grasshoppers are still very young is important. So, uh, and you certainly don't have to use the whole container at one point. Keep it in the refrigerator. But I'd go throw a couple of handfuls around the garden today and then keep an eye on it. And uh, when and if you see more of them appearing or see them appearing in different areas, throw out a little bit more of it. It's uh, very simple, very safe, and very effective. Now, I know before, uh, years ago, you said to put it in the freezer. Uh, Which is better, the refrigerator or the freezer? They're telling us it doesn't make a lot of difference. Um, I've I've always kept mine in the freezer, but uh, I think most of the instructions are now just saying under refrigeration. So you put it wherever you have the most room. My freezer's getting pretty full with various things out of the garden and all. Plus, uh, we've got a great restaurant up in Bernie called Hungry Horse, and I go buy their casseroles and divide them into about 10 servings and stick them in the freezer. So my NOLO NOLO is probably going to move down to the refrigerator very shortly. Okay, now uh, on the nematodes, I want to distribute those with a watering can. Correct. Do I need to cover the whole bed or just put a straight down the middle, or how can I do that? Well, keep in mind the nematodes are very tiny. That little blue sponge has over a million nematodes on it. If you get the bigger sponge, it has like six million. And so something that is just barely visible doesn't move real far real fast. So I wouldn't just put one strip down the middle of the garden. I wouldn't necessarily feel like I had to cover every single square inch of the garden, but spread them out pretty well because it's, you know, they're not going to run a marathon and get uh, the, you know, 30, 40 feet away overnight. Uh, it will take a while, and the more widely you can distribute them, uh, the more quickly you will get control over your grub worms and fleas and things like that. So whether you use a watering can, whether you use a sprayer on the end of the hose, um, if I were going down the middle of the garden, I'd at the very least be kind of slinging it back and forth so I was doing a wide strip rather than a narrow strip. Make sense? Would you would you use it with the uh, uh, the thing screwed on the end or or take it off? Um, the what is screwed on the end doesn't really matter. In the case of watering can, they call that the rose. I probably would leave the rose on there because those openings are plenty big enough for the uh, nematodes to go through. Now, the sprayer on the end of the hose, we always take the little strainer off the bottom of the uptake tube, but on a watering can, uh doesn't make any difference at all whether the rose is on or off. Uh, um, you could do either way. I wouldn't be concerned. Okay, very good. And now one other thing. Uh, several 
months ago, I told you about a, a tree that I saw there in San Antonio. It had all these little orange uh, fruits on it, and you told right. me the name. You told me okay. the name. What was it? <laughs> okay, so how big are these little fruits? They're, they're about the size of a tangerine, maybe a little bit smaller. Okay, and um, is this a small tree or a good-sized tree? Oh, it was a big tree. Okay, then it's probably going to be one of the satsumas. Satsuma, yes. Yeah. Now, will that grow in Kendalia? Uh, it will, unless we get a really cold winter. Uh, satsumas are cold-hardy down in the 16 to 18 degree range. As you know, it can get colder than that. It's been a while since it did, but uh, you know, with our with our warmer winters, it would probably be fine. I would still plant it on the south side of a building or somewhere that it gets just a little bit of protection from that strong north wind. Okay. All right. Well, very good. I, I'm sort of in that uh, at-risk category. So I really appreciate your drive-up service. That was tremendous. Well, Sid, we're happy to do it for you, and uh, you stay safe. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Next up is Holly. Good morning, Holly. Good morning, sir. Good, good morning. morning. I'm well, thank you. I hope your day's off to a good start. It's beautiful. I woke up this morning. <laughs> well, that's where it needs to begin every single day. But if you haven't been outside yet, it's a it's just a, a beautiful spring morning out there. Beautiful. Yes, sir. Um, I had just one question for you today. Okay. Um, I planted two magnolia trees in February. They were beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, they struggled a little bit. One came around. The other one was struggling. But both started coming around, and then all of a sudden last week, the leaves on both of them turned a brownish color and then black. And then one is really shedding the leaves pretty bad, pretty badly. Okay. Um, did you plant regular magnolia or the little gem variety? The Just regular magnolia trees. And whereabouts are you located? In Lavernia, Texas. South okay, and yeah, you're you're, uh, <laughs> you're you're better off than uh, than you would be if you're going the other direction up in the hill country. Yes, um, I always suspect a water issue. You know, when you have okay. trees that just uh, suddenly don't like it, and everybody makes a mistake of thinking that we've gotten good rains, which we a few places right. have gotten good soaking rains, but those those magnolias have not gotten much of a root system established at all yet so they're going to need frequent watering i would check and be sure that that root flare is exposed that kind of problem usually takes much longer to show up so i have to tell you it's almost certainly a root issue a little super thrive a little garret juice something that's going to uh, stimulate some new root growth is going to be important and as i'm sure you've heard me say many times when leaves turn and drop that's not as serious a situation as when they turn brown and stay attached to the tree that's a very bad sign but having leaves turn and drop the trees telling you hey i'm unhappy you better do something about it or i will eventually die on you but normally uh, the trees will come back out with a little bit of modification of behavior so to speak the one thing that i will tell you while while they're going through this transition while they're getting back on their feet so to speak every opportunity you have 
take your hose and just spray up and down the trunk and the limbs. Something has bothered the roots, which is why they drop the leaves. And while those roots are compromised, they will absorb a good deal of moisture directly through the bark. And uh, it's kind of like buying a bare root tree. I, you know, years ago when I worked with my old friend Alton Grimm, and we sold a huge number of bare root fruit trees, we'd go out four, five, six times a day and just wet those uh, trees down because anything where the roots are unhappy or limited, that tree's got to be able to absorb some moisture through that soft bark while it tries to get its roots reestablished. So I'd strongly suggest that. Watch carefully for new growth and let me know how the new growth looks when it comes out. Okay, that helps quite a bit, especially when you talked about the root flare. I did try to make sure that was exposed. Good. And I noticed they did not take the canvas or the cage off when they planted them because they're fairly big trees, 12 to 15 uh-huh. feet. Um, Are they, were they in containers or were they bald and burlapped? They were bald and burlapped. Okay, that, uh, yeah, I'm not at all surprised because that tree probably, if you were lucky, you got 30% of the root system of the tree, and that tree is really in a precarious state. It's out of ICU, but it's not out of, uh, and not out of the hospital for two years or so. So this spraying down of the of the bark of the trunk, everything is going to be very important. Keeping okay. a good mulch over the root zone, not around the trunk. But see, magnolias love to grow with their roots in the shade and their top in the sun. This is why we always leave the lower limbs on, because it's very important that that ground at the base of the tree stay cooler. So until until it's really big enough to create a good shadow on the ground you need to keep that layer of mulch uh, a couple of inches deep over the root zone just to keep the soil cool and uh, then eventually as the magnolia grows uh, we can't trim them up we can't make a shade tree out of them we grow them for their beauty but those limbs need to be practically down to the ground and the whole purpose of that in the trees you know way of looking at things is to keep the soil good and shady and much cooler so uh, yeah bald and burlap trees um, it's a little touch and go with those so be sure you're doing the moistening of the of the limbs and bark definitely a big help thank you sir i appreciate it keep me posted on how they do holly will do thank you so much <laughs> goodbye all right got a couple of open lines so if you've been getting a busy signal be a good time to dial 210-599-5555 next two callers are going to be jeff and jamie and jeff is up first good morning jeff bob nice to hear you again I Thank you, sir. I've been back from California since uh, October of last year. Now I'd like to know what else can I plant at this time? In the vegetable garden? Vegetable garden. Okay. Um, it is still plenty of time. Well, it's just getting to be time to plant okra. I'll probably be planting okra this week myself. Still a good time to set out uh, cucumbers, plant squash. Uh, you can plant several kinds of melons. Good time to plant peppers. Um, if you can find them and tomatoes are getting a little scarce, I think we're a little late on planting the big-fruited tomatoes because they stop setting when the nights get hot, and that's not too distant down the road, but uh, the cherry tomatoes, the Sweet 100s, the Sun Golds, the Juliets, things like that, uh, certainly still a very good time to plant those. Um, 
Leafy greens, uh, chard is about the only one of the leafy greens that does well in the heat. Uh, there is a vining plant they call New Zealand spinach or Malabar spinach. It's not like the leaf spinach that we grow during cold weather, but a lot of people grow it as a spinach substitute in the summer months, and uh, it's called Malabar spinach or uh, New Zealand spinach. That can certainly go in the ground. Um, those are the principal things that uh, I would consider. Now, bush beans, you can certainly plant some more bush beans, but be sure you're getting a heat-tolerant variety. I always plant Tavera in the early spring, but it doesn't like it when it gets real hot. So my summer bush beans will be contender and top crop and some of those, but still plenty of time to plant uh, your warmer weather bush beans and black-eyed peas as well. Well, thank you very much for those. Uh, well, it's nice to you, be back again to San Antonio. What what part of California were you in? Uh, Ridge Crest, California. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah. Well, They've, thank you very much, Bob. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call, Jeff. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, Jamie is up next. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Janie. Janie, all right. Well, uh, it's good to talk to Janie. I certainly know that voice. <laughs> all right. All right. I got a question about my tangerine tree. Okay. Right. The leaves are kind of lime yellow, and they're starting to drop, and I have fertilized it. I've even done what you were saying about spreading the water up and down the trunk. Uh-huh. And uh, I even put some uh, root stimulizer, thinking maybe that's what it needs. Okay. And I just don't know what else to do. I know you're talking about the carrot juice and uh, Super Thrive, but I can't uh-huh. get to it because I can't drive anymore. Sure. Um, well, tell me, are the leaves that are that are yellowing, are they the older leaves? Or are they the newer leaves that are out on the tips of the branches? No, they're the old leaves. They're just popping. Then stop worrying about it because you know how the live oaks always drop their leaves in the spring and put on new ones? Your citrus does a lot of the same thing. Citrus will shed a bunch of older leaves at this time of year, and as long as the newer leaves are looking good, then there's no problem. Uh, you need to, of course, be watering very thoroughly when you water, but uh, it's perfectly normal for citrus trees to drop some yellow leaves uh, at this time of year. As long as the new growth looks good, don't be concerned. Well, because I've never done it before. That's why I'm so surprised. Well, they probably have done it, but just maybe not so much all at once. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I, you know, we, we have lots of citrus around the nursery, and uh, I, they we go through this every year, and everybody always gets panicked. But uh, the old leaves don't. They're not really the best indicator of health. It's the newest growth on the plant that's going to tell you uh, whether the tree's good and healthy or not, and uh, I wouldn't be concerned, Janie. Okay, because I have this uh, have to grow Medina, mm-hmm. yeah. and I was thinking I would make me a gallon of it and just pour it all into the roots. And oh, the tree would love that. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, so, uh, carrot juice and the other one, you know. Yeah, it, uh, it, it that would be a that would be a great thing to do. And if you would do that once a month, uh, your your tree would love you. So yeah, make up some of that uh, has to grow and and just pour it over the root system, and uh, it'll make it come out that much faster. All right. All right, another problem is that uh, the rose bush, okay, that was close to the other one. And Mm -hmm. I asked if I could dig it out and plant it in another place, which I did, like I just say, I made the hole ahead ahead of time. I spread some Medina, uh, Medina fertilizer on it, and then I got the plant and I put it into the ground put the same dirt that it had mm-hmm. uh, it uh, the leaves they all look real sad and so I kept watering it I even gave it some root stimulizer and uh, so I finally decided to get the scissors and trim all those uh, leaves off of it uh-huh I don't know if I did right or not. Well, if the leaves are green, you really didn't need to trim them. If you look at these stems on the rose bush, are they still smooth and green? Have they gotten wrinkly looking, or are they still smooth and green? No, they look okay, the the, the roots. Uh, they, they're not at all looking bad or anything. It's just oh. wondering if I did it right. Yeah, you did it right, and uh, as long as those uh, those stems are looking green and smooth, they'll put on new leaves. They should start doing that pretty soon. But uh, it just it went through a little shock because it got some roots damaged, but you did it right because you didn't keep it out of the ground. You dug it and replanted it immediately. Uh, be a little patient with it, Janie. I think it's going to come out just fine for you. All right, then. I thank you again, and I won't bother you again about it. <laughs> you are no bother ever any time. You call me any time I can help. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Bob. You're, you're welcome, Janie. Have a wonderful weekend. All right. Next up is Alan, and then it'll be Terry. Good morning, Alan. Morning. Morning, sir. I got a question. Um, uh-huh. I'm, I just redid my raised beds. Okay. And I am now ready to plant, and I know it is way late, but I have shade covers that I had for uh-huh. my old raised garden. Okay. Can I plant, is it better to go ahead and plant my seeds and put the, ra- the shade cover on because it's so late or early now, or let those uh, seeds and stuff come up first before I put my shade cover on? Oh, I, I wouldn't put your shade cover on until July or so uh, because sunlight is what breaks down what I call the stretching hormone that makes plants get spindly and too tall. So uh, what sorts of seeds are you thinking of planting? Oh, I'm a, because it's so late, I'm gonna do, I'll do my squash, carrots, radishes. Uh, okay, don't don't waste your time on carrots and radishes. They're cool weather right. plants. Uh, you can plant squash. You can plant cucumbers. You can plant okra. Um, you can those those are I things. Do my that collard? Will, uh, collards not so well. Chard, yes, you can do ruby chard or Swiss chard or oh gosh, right. for bright lights is one of my favorites. But collards are cool weather plants. About the only leafy bushy plant is going to be swiss chard so you can certainly get that started and it would be better to plant from plants rather than from seed but you can do peppers you can do eggplant you can do cherry tomatoes you can get all of those things but the primary things that i'm going to be doing from
herb seed right now are going to be okra, squash, cucumbers, and maybe some melons if you would like. Okay, that'll work. Got your day's work cut out for you. And when we start getting into super hot, super long days, that's going to be into June 1st of July. That's the time that that shade cover is going to go on. Between now and then, you'll have stockier, bushier, much more productive plants if you go ahead and let them have the full sun. They can take it. You'll have to water regularly, but they they can take the kind of sun we get this time of year, and they, they really need it. All right. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It is Terry's turn. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Hey, Good morning. How's the nematode situation at your shop right now? You know, I will run, look in the refrigerator over the news break. As of yesterday, I know we had uh, plenty of fresh ones in, but it was a very busy day. So let me look and see. So far as I know, we're in good shape on nematodes right now. Great. My problem is this. I've been trying to call you guys, and I cannot get through. Every time I call, it goes directly to a busy signal. So can you give me another phone number besides the one I've been calling for 20 years? All you can do is keep trying. Our phones are very, very busy because so many people are, you know, using our drive-through curbside. And um, I I wish we had another number, but... um, uh, the only other number would be the fax line and wouldn't do any good to call that one. So call call fairly early, you know, uh, around 9. It doesn't, it gets busy midday, but uh, it's, you know, it is just, there's so many people, so many people calling in. It's just really, really impossible. Okay, give me, I know I need to soak the yard because I've been waiting for the rains to buy and it, you know, <laughs> Right. So I soak the yard for maybe an hour or so. I have one of those, you know, things that's real wide covering. Right. And then right. I apply the nematodes and do I water them in again? I would just rinse them. I, you just want them off the foliage and down to ground level. So you can either run your sprinkler for two minutes or you get out there with a little sprayer on the end of the hose, but just a very light watering after they go down. Okay. And, um, I know one, uh, your smaller package will cover how many square feet? About 2,000 to 2,500. Well, I sure don't have a yard that big. That's a good <laughs> size yard. Okay. Yeah. Also, I finally, finally have some lemons, little teeny tiny lemons on uh-huh. my two lemon bushes. And, but I also have a uh, black something on the leaves that you can wipe off with your thumb. You have had some insects on there. The black is just a mold that grows on the excrement they leave behind. Check and be sure you don't have any scale insect on there. If you do, spray it with a little bit of neem or a little bit of spinosad soap. But uh, that's probably something that was there last year and not anything to be concerned about. And what do those insects look like now? They'll be like... They'll be like a little flat brown speckle, like a little freckle on there, but you can scrape it off with your fingernail. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I just, like I said, I've called you all different times well, day and night. And we, we, we do not take our phones off the hook or anything like that. It's just uh, lots of folks calling right now. So keep trying. We'll look forward to visiting. This is KTSA Radio. 
Ah, but don't dial right this second because every line is taken. We're going to talk to Art and Rhonda and Faye and Heloise. Real quickly, I always try to give a little bit of an update about uh, friends and advertisers uh, and exactly what the status of their businesses are. I know that uh, over at Fanix, they're still doing curbside. They may allow limited numbers of people in the nursery, but their business is still primarily curbside. I know out at Rhonda's Nature's Way, and boy, I tell you what, we all need Rhonda this time, (laughs) this this stage of life, so to speak. Uh, Rhonda's allowing up to one person at a time in the store because the stores are still fairly small, but she still will do mail orders. She still will do curbside. Uh, gosh, they're, they're just always there. Water Garden Gems, wide open and anxious to help you. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, they can always do sort of a virtual type of uh, program if you like, and uh, believe me, they're putting on lots of good roofs right now. Our friends over at Kinetic Co. Uh, they're not only delivering salt to everyone, regardless of what your brand is, but uh, they can do the same thing. They can service or install water softeners in the garage without ever having face-to-face contact. Uh, who else should I mention? I know that uh, Rainbow is uh, wide open, allowing people in the nursery, as we are here at Shades of Green. We, as long as we do our social distancing, you're welcome to come in and look around. And uh, I think that covers most of the people that I get to talk about on a regular basis. So uh, um, anyway, get out and support your local folks because uh, they're the ones that are going to be there for you day in and day out. And uh, most of us are, you know, conducting business to one degree or another and always love to see you and always, always happy to be of service to you. Let's get back to the phone lines. And first up is going to be Art. Good morning, Art. Greetings, Bob. Uh, Champanel grapes question, please. Yes, sir. Uh it looks like the doggone thing's got going, and then uh, there's something I think called a skeletonizer on a yeah. number of the leaves. Is there a yeah? That's a solution? yeah. You can use uh, any of the caterpillar killers. I like uh, BT. Uh, totally safe. It's uh, more effective if you uh, put just a little bit of molasses in it. But the skeletonizing caterpillars are out in force this year. So uh, the way you use your BT, just you know, spray the vines, is totally harmless to people. The caterpillar takes uh, one bite out of a leaf that has the BT on it, stops feeding immediately, and dies within a few hours. Don't spray anything except the grapes because, of course, it's non-selective. It pretty much uh, is a stomach poison for all caterpillars. But I think that's the single best way to control the skeletonizers. If you prefer, you can use a contact killer, which is either spinosad or the spinosad soap. But if you're using that, you have to get it on the caterpillar. And those skeletonizing caterpillars are usually on the back side of the leaf, which makes them sort of hard to hit. So uh, BT is still my first choice thank you uh, another quick question uh she started a number of peppers uh-huh. and unfortunately uh, they got a little bit uh spindly mm-hmm. but uh, the second leaves are just now coming out uh-huh. uh, next step would be start feeding them and then uh, uh not winterize uh put them outside 
Well, most definitely get them outside as soon as you can. Put them in a place that gets. Uh, uh, I would start out with morning sun and then move them to where they get afternoon sun. I would be uh, careful to keep them out of the wind at this point. Remember, it's not the fertilizer that makes a stocky plant. It's having good bright sunlight that will make it a more sturdy, less spindly plant. So getting it into that bright light is the single most important thing you're going to do, Art. Thank you, Bob. You're still the man, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I appreciate being here for you, Art. You have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk next to Rhonda. Good morning, Rhonda. Hello, Bob. Hi there. How are you? Hey, it's just a beautiful day. I've got two black labs here keeping me company, and uh, uh, there, there are a bunch of our, our employees who are out unloading a big semi from California, and oh, shucks, I have to sit here on the radio. I don't get to go out and, and, and work my butt off like <laughs> usual. So, no, life is good. What can I say? Well, um, I need some help. I hope you have. I'll try. Number one, I've got a woodpecker just tearing up my pergola. Okay. I know I can't kill the little rat, but I call Wild Birds Unlimited to see if they had anything that I could use, but I haven't Mm -hmm. heard back from them. And so I thought, well, maybe you'd know something I could do. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, it's probably not a woodpecker. Uh, woodpeckers have no reason to peck on dead wood, except unless they're building a nesting cavity. But there is a um, a bird called a yellow-shafted flicker, and those things are just among the most destructive things in the world. What I would suggest, and I think you would find it at Wild Birds Unlimited, most uh, outdoor stores have it, they make a, a it's like a ribbon that they call scare tape. I don't know what it is. You know, I've had, it's like fruit trees. Some people will take, and you can do the same thing in your pergola. People might wonder about you a little bit. But uh, an old CD or something like that that just really flashes extremely bright light, uh, Mm -hmm. that tends to scare the birds. And um, uh, the flickers are active. They're active day and night. So um, I I would put up, and and like I say, this ribbon they call scare tape, it's just sort of that opalescent-looking tape that just... I know what that is. Yeah, I would put that up, and uh, that should very much help keeping them away. The other thing you can do, and I guess probably Wild Birds Unlimited, but birds are deathly afraid of snakes, mainly because we have a snake here called the Texas Rat Snake or Lindheimer's Rat Snake, and its principal diet is birds, and it's a climber. It'll climb. You'd be amazed how that thing can climb, and it tends to eat birds, and sometimes you just get a rubber snake. Um, (laughs) Tell your friends so you don't accidentally startle somebody unknowingly. But sometimes you can get one of those and kind of pin or put them up uh, toward the top, toward the rafters of your pergola, maybe once a month, move it around a little bit. And that does usually a very good job of scaring off any kind of bird. Okay. Those are my two suggestions. I'm sure one or both of them will keep those flickers out bothering somebody else instead of you. My second question is, I have three cedar elms in my yard uh-huh. that I planted when they were tiny, and they've become 
lots bigger than I ever imagined <laughs> they would. So now they have outgrown my grass. <laughs> okay. And I put in zoysia, and it's been uh-huh. beautiful, but it is no longer beautiful. Right. So I'm thinking of taking it out and putting in St. Augustine. Well, St. Augustine is definitely more shade tolerant than zoysia by a huge uh, proportion. I would tell you the two St. Augustines to look for, one of them is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. The other is Palmetto. Uh, St. Augustines are shade tolerant, but Palmetto and Delmar are the two most shade tolerant St. Augustines that I know of. And if you really want to have grass in that area, that's what you're going to need to do. Now, I would also consider the alternative of a ground cover, uh, such as Asiatic jasmine or dwarf monkey grass. Uh, you could even consider English ivy if you want. The problem, problem with English ivy is that uh, those cedar elms are going to shed all their leaves in the winter months, and where it was very shady this time of year, suddenly it's very hot and sunny in the winter, and English ivy could burn. So my top choices, if you want an evergreen ground cover, would either be Asiatic jasmine or dwarf monkey grass, and it will it will grow with uh, less light than even St. Augustine will. So those are possibilities. You could also create a shade garden with things like holly fern, salvia coccinea. Uh, so, gosh, there are some beautiful mahonias. There are uh, lots of different perennials that will grow in bright shade. So if you want to get away from grass, uh, there are probably, I can tell you, 20, 30 different plants that would be very happy growing in a shade garden. So, uh, well, uh, if, if you... I didn't have three dogs to use it as a restroom, <laughs> I could do that. But uh-huh. as it is, they gotta have places. Oh, I totally understand. My my two black labs are here keeping me company on the radio this morning. So, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> but no, uh, either the Palmetto or the Del Mar is going to be your best choice of grass. It can be planted any time of year, but obviously if you get it in and established before summer's heat really hits, uh, it's going to do best. And I, I have a neighbor who's put the little... Um, drip system that uh, whatever it's called uh-huh. compensated drip I think or something yeah, like pressure, pressure, pressure compensated drip, drip tubing yeah, yeah. that kind of thing under their grass uh-huh. instead of a sprinkler on top uh-huh. and I think that's a great idea but then I think what about as the years go by is the water that's not the softest water in town gonna go through that or stop it up you know from mineral deposits and stuff do you think it's good to do that I think, you know, I would always have a little clean-out, a little drain clean-out, but I'll tell you who I would call to get the best answer to that. There is a sprinkler company here in San Antonio that is called SA, like San Antonio, SA Rainmaker. 
and call over there and ask uh, ask Bill because they've been doing that. Uh, you know the crazy rules the city has on some things. They're not allowed to put sprinkler heads. If you have that little bit of uh, grass between the sidewalk and the streets, you're not allowed to put a sprinkler head out there. So oh. Bill's been they've been using the pressure compensated drip for I know ten or fifteen years now. So just call SA Rainmaker, ask for Bill if he's available, and ask him about the long-term durability of it. And he's he's a super guy. They're the only sprinkler company I recommend anyway. But uh, he'll tell you whether they've had any problems with it or not. Okay. Thank you so much. And I want to say the number might be 599-0012 or something like that. It's very similar to the number at the radio station. So, But uh, really, really great people. And tell them I said hello when you call them. Alrighty, I will. Thank you. You're sure welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. Appreciate your help. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Faye and Eloise and Daniel and Elroy. Faye is up first. Good morning, Faye. Hi, Faye. I'm glad to hear that uh, your business rocks right along here. <laughs> it's uh, uh, we stay stay pretty darn busy, and uh, it's uh, Patrick. I'll talk to you about it in a minute. Um, yeah, it's we've been very blessed with uh, lots and lots of folks coming in and lots and lots of beautiful plants going out. Well, good, good. Keep keep uh, our landscapes beautiful and uh, our food, our food supply coming along. So uh, that's that's just real good news. I have a question for you, or extended question. Um, I have some very nice tomatoes. Uh, that the main question is about, but also some uh, peppers and uh, um, eggplants that have been doing really well. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a bad neighbor, and it's not a bad neighbor, but the bad neighbor's <laughs> uh, <laughs> lawnmower guy. Uh, uh-huh. About probably 50 feet from where my tomatoes um, are, and this may be coincidental, I don't know, but he went down the fence line and used a, a weed killer, a chemical, weed chemical. And mm-hmm. and it may be coincidental, but um, my tomatoes started having yellow leaves, which I've all I pulled, tried to keep them pulled off. But would that, could that have drifted over just to them, or is that perhaps another problem? Is the yellowing from top to bottom, is it strictly on the bottom leaves? More the bottom, going okay. up to about midway, but more on, mostly on the bottom, yes. Okay. I suspect that that is more likely just the early blight fungus, which is pretty common. Your spray drift could almost could certainly go that far, absolutely could go that far, but... Um, uh, I think you'd be seeing it pretty much all the way from top to the bottom of the tomato. I don't think it would just be, you know, down at a low level like that. So I'd be more suspicious of the early blight fungus. I get out there or get after it with some cornmeal or some corn water tea, and uh, you may even want to pick out some of the worst of pick off some of the worst of the yellowed leaves. But um, uh, I, I, you know, I certainly just hate it when people get careless with weed killers, but I think it'd be more likely affecting the whole plant than just the lower foliage if it were the weed killer. Oh, okay. And it doesn't seem to be other plants. It just 
so that's I'll get out there. Uh, I did put some cornmeal on earlier. Um, yeah. is, is it more effective to do the the uh, liquid ver- uh, Once it's up on the plant, yes, it is most effective to spray on the foliage. Like you, I always, you know, put some early because the way it gets started is uh, rain or just watering splashes the disease up out of the soil and onto the foliage of the plant. So um, uh, I just, you know, just butcher cornmeal, depending. You don't have to make up a whole lot, but uh, I, you know, for a gallon of spray, I'd put three or four tablespoons of the cornmeal in and then spray with that liquid, let it stand for 12 to 24 hours. If you want to avoid having to strain it, uh, you can go to a paint store and get one of what they call the paint straining bags, or you can use an old pair of pantyhose or stockings or something like that and just put the cornmeal down in the toe, and that way after it's soaked for a few hours, you can just pull it out and throw it away and not have to worry about the cornmeal clogging up your sprayer. But, uh, yes, I think it would be much more effective uh, as a foliar spray at this point. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. And I, I'm just... Uh thinking what else to to plant is it time for okra now to go in oh yeah okra needs to go in now and if you want to plant additional squash or cucumbers uh, i know my bush beans are about to bloom and start to start producing so when that gets started i know it's about time to plant another another crop of bush beans because if you love green beans the way i do you'll probably plant about three different plantings over the summer months to uh ensure continuous production well, I didn't get my first beans in. So well, then you get your in. you get your second ones in. It's getting a little late for some of the cooler loving beans, like my favorite, which is Tavera. But uh, as we move into summer, uh, contender, top crop, bush lake or bush blue lake, uh, any of those should be good for you. So if you want to have green beans, I'd certainly get some more of them going. Well, thank you, Bob. That's uh, that. You know what I'm going to be doing today in the moment, for sure. <laughs> well, it's going to be a beautiful day for it, Faye, so I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and enjoy. Thank you so much, Bob. Bye for You're now. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh, next up is Heloise. Good morning, Heloise. Good morning, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your services here, and I have a couple questions this morning. That's what I'm here for. How can I help? Right. The first one is about compost, and I listen to you. uh, I've listened for years, and you say it's too early. I mean, it's too late to put on compost, and I've never written down that temperature criteria. So that's what I would like to know. Uh, Well... Here's here's the thing about compost. If the temperatures are really hot, meaning generally 85 or above, uh, when you put on your compost, because of the ammonia gas it produces, you can get some temporary yellowing to the foliage of the grass, which is just the opposite of what it will produce long term. So if you can still put compost on, I would be sure to water it immediately afterwards just to carry that gas down into the soil instead of having it you know, lingering around the grass blades. But the reason we do it during the cooler months is to avoid that yellowing that can happen in the heat. Now, yesterday, obviously, it was very hot. Today, it's supposed to be about 20 degrees cooler. So I would say we're right 
toward the end of compost application, but looking, you know, and who trusts the weathermen these days? They never seem to get it right. But it looks like we're going to be reasonable temperatures for the next two weeks. So if you really, uh, if your if your grass would benefit from compost, go ahead and put it on. But uh, do water it, do water it thoroughly afterwards. Now, what we're talking about, of course, is the compost like you would get from New Earth or Stone and Soil Depot. Uh, which is, you know, the bulk compost, which is truly not totally finished compost. If you're buying it in bags, whether it's uh, Nature's Creation or whether it's Ladybug or Fox Farms, those are more what we would call a finished compost, and you can put those on 365 days a year. It's just if you have a very big area to do it, get much more expensive to buy it by the bag than to buy it by the cubic yard. But um, I... I still think as long as you water, you've probably got at least another 10 days that you could buy the bulk compost and put it out so long as you follow up with the good watering afterwards. Okay, that's wonderful. When you say water afterwards, do you mean just like one time really good or like frequently uh, every day for a while oh no 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 just one time thoroughly just into your typical summer watering schedule which is probably going to be once a week and uh, that one thorough soaking should take care of things uh uh, you know, and and take care of any potential yellowing issues uh, in fact it may even give you greener grass more quickly okay that sounds great um now my second question um just for fun i left some broccoli plants in, in my garden. <laughs> and they have beautiful yellow flowers all over them now, and the bees love them. Well, the flowers are gone. I have okay. bean, uh, seed beans. I have like uh-huh. little tiny beans there, and I'm planning to, just for fun, <laughs> try to harvest these seeds and plant them and seeds, you know, uh, follow through with that. And so I'm wondering, do you, what happens to these beans? Do I need to? They're not really turning. They're 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 um, they're not really turning brown or anything yet. And uh-huh. do they do they spring open? And I'll lose all the seeds if I wait too long. <laughs> when when they start to turn yellow. That will indicate that the seed inside is mature. If you wait until they are brown, they may indeed pop open and distribute the seed, shall we say. So I would harvest them when those little seed pods begin to turn yellow. I would keep them in a dry place or even just put them in a dry envelope. Um, you don't want to have them all crowded together. You want to have them spread out so that they don't get moldy or anything. But once they have started turning yellow, that is telling you that the seed is mature and ready to harvest. And it's not yet at the stage where it's going to be popping open and, and lost to you, so to speak. So harvest your seed. As the seed pods open or as you open the seed pods, uh, let the seed dry fairly thoroughly. You can just leave it on. I use parchment. Some people use paper towels, but parchments is uh, cheap as wax paper, and you know I use that in wrapping things for the freezer anyway. And uh, I will collect the seed on that. Then maybe put them in a little small envelope. Put that envelope inside of a mason jar or something you can seal up in the refrigerator. And come about August or so, it'll be time to uh, start your new little broccoli plants. 
Okay, that sounds great. And I can plant those directly in the ground, or should I? I, I would not direct seed broccoli. It, it never works real well. I would start your broccoli seed in little pots or in a seed tray. Get those seedlings up to where they have one to two sets of true leaves, and uh, then they can be planted out in the garden. And that's going to be about September or so. Plant the seed somewhere around the 15th of August, and then you'll, you'll have little plants to transplant by mid-September. Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds great. Um, that gives me a, another um, <laughs> another project <laughs> to follow through with. And well, it'll be fun for you, and uh, you know the the things you learn by saving and planting your broccoli seed will apply to many many other plants. So uh, it'll be a it'll be good experience for you. So you call me if you have any questions along the way. Okay, I appreciate it, and thanks for all you do. Talk to you soon. It's my, it's my pleasure, Eloise. Thank you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 107. Don, go ahead and block the lines if you haven't already done so. All right, let's get back to gardening here. It's going to be Daniel and Elroy and Barbara and uh, I believe James after that. Yeah, and let's get back to the phone lines, and Daniel is up next. Good morning, Daniel. Uh, yes, sir. Good morning. I have a question. Yes, yes sir. Um, so I had a new sod uh, put in on Thursday afternoonish, and at that time it was green and everything, and I started watering. And then um, I come home yesterday after work, um, and again I watered yesterday morning, and then I came home after work yesterday, and I noticed that the sod looked really dry, and I started panicking because obviously. He put in a brand new side, um, and that's a new investment. I guess my question sure. is: Sure, sure. Um, am I going to lose the side now? So I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried, but um, I'm just calling to see what you have to say. <laughs> okay. Um, what kind of grass was it that you planted? Uh, it was Saint Augustine. Okay. And did you plant it, or did a company do it for you? No, a company did it, sir. And did they roll the grass? Did they uh, use? They normally use a heavy water fillable roller uh, to go over the grass after they put it in. Do you know if they did that? I don't think they did. I think they just uh, put down the, I guess, the squares and everything. Okay, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a sorry company if they didn't because one of the most important things you do when you plant sod is you roll it. You're not trying to level it, but it's very, very important that it be rolled to take out the air pockets between the sod and the soil underneath. And um, I, what I, I'm going to tell you, water it twice a day, but just very, you know, five minutes at a time because the grass doesn't have roots very far down. And so it's it's important that you water. At this point, it's important that you water frequently. Um, they put it down on Thursday, and it didn't get watered Friday, and then it got watered again yesterday. Yeah, well, I watered it uh, Friday morning, and then okay. I guess it was really hot yesterday. So yeah. the guy yeah. called me and said, hey, uh, I came in the backyard just to see how, how everything was, and the yard looked kind of dry, so please water it like when you come home. And I'm like, uh, okay. absolutely. <laughs> so okay. I did, and, well, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't panic at this point 
but I would give them hell over the fact that they didn't roll it because that is principle number one when you put down new sod, you roll it. And again, what you're doing is taking out the air pockets because you know that 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 grass has got to get some roots going and down into the ground and if there is a layer of air between the sod and the soil underneath those new little roots can't grow they just dry up and you end up what you end up with frequently is uh is kind of a patchwork look the parts of the sod that got walked on that got pressed firmly into the ground they're going to come out and be nice and green and the parts that didn't get rolled you know that grass may die completely so i would kind of put them on notice that uh if there are any big areas that you know the the sod just in effect doesn't take that it doesn't root that you're expecting it to be replaced at no charge to you because they should have rolled it that's just uh that's just really really essential especially in warmer weather when you put grass down so i get after them about that in the meantime i would water daily doesn't have to be a long watering maybe 10 15 minutes and let's uh let's give it a week or 10 days check back with me and let me know how it's looking at that point i appreciate it sir it's my pleasure. Excellent question. I sure hope it comes out well for you, Daniel. And and there's a good chance that most of it will. St. Augustine's a very strong grass. Even if there's some areas that uh, are brown, you should have grass spread in from the surrounding good grass. But these guys didn't do a good job for you if they didn't roll it. And I sure wouldn't hesitate if you have any big areas that don't come out. Tell them they need to come put a little new sod in for you. Okay, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Certainly. All right. Let's head up Fredericksburg Way and say good morning, Elroy. Morning. Good morning, sir. Well, I've got an unusual problem with okra. Oh, tell me about uh, it. Well, I keep planting and it comes up and just it seems to disappear. I think I've got a tiny green bug on it. It's you can't hardly see it. If you look mm. real close, you, you I, saw, I thought I saw some, and I don't know what to do about them. Well, golly, you know it's just barely okra planting time now because it's such a hot weather plant. I would. How big an okra patch do you plant? Oh, I plant a row of about uh, about fifty feet. Okay, I would get. Um, I would spray with spinosad. Um, if it is a beetle, there are there are beetles that eat okra. It is. Uh, it's not. It's not common to have something eaten off. Now, the plants are just disappearing. It's not like there's a cut-off plant lying on the ground. The plant is just totally gone? Yeah, the plant is... Uh, well, they, <clears throat> they look like they've been uh, eaten on. Uh-huh. And they, turn, and they turn yellow and eventually die. Okay. Well, I would spray with some spinosad. If you were finding little plants that were just cut off at ground level... That could be cutworms, but yeah, we usually don't see cutworms on okra. So I think it is probably a little beetle. Your safest and best spray would be spinosad, or you could use spinosad soap if you preferred. And uh, that's not going to affect the produce, and it's totally safe for you. It's uh, there's not a safer product out there than spinosad. But uh, I, that I would I would get on 
I'd get that on fairly quickly. You're not seeing large numbers of pill bugs, are you? Large numbers of sow bugs? No. Okay. Then I think it's probably little beetle and spinosad is what I'd use to control it. Okay, I've got one more. <clears throat> okay. My green beans. I used to have green beans. I couldn't get them. Well, I gave them to everybody. But now uh-huh. my green beans, I plant them, they come up, they look great, and then they start turning yellow. And I've tried everything with them, but it, they've got plenty of fertilizer. And. <clears throat> I don't know what to do about them. Um, do you uh, um, do you inoculate the seed? Say what? Do you inoculate the seed? Do you use that bean and pea inoculant when you plant your green bean seed? No, I don't. I would sure try that on the next crop because sometimes that makes a big difference. Uh, the inoculant is a super fine powder. I mean, it's just almost as fine as graphite. And uh, what you do is just moisten your seed and roll them in it. And this is a little bacteria that helps form little nodules on the roots that actually provide extra nitrogen to the plant. And sometimes that will make a, a big difference uh and how your green beans do, and uh, especially if you're fertilizing, putting your usual fertilizer on, is do the leaves ever become kind of discolored, kind of uh, distorted, uh, partly green, partly yellow, like they have stripes or unusual patterns in the leaves, or do they just overall turn yellow and fail to do well? It's just overall yellow. Okay. If you see any of the other, we would call it a mosaic pattern, spray the little plants with hydrogen peroxide, about uh, two parts water to one part hydrogen peroxide, because there are virus diseases that beans can get, but usually they produce a very distinct pattern in the leaves. At this point, I would suggest just inoculating next time you plant the seed and wherever you get the seed they should have a little package of inoculant and use it on all kinds of beans and peas both winter and summer and uh, I think that will help a good deal but if you notice any weird patterns uh, in the in the uh, coloration on the foliage spray them with uh, spray them with uh, hydrogen peroxide and that should correct it I've got some inoculant, but how long does that last? If it's kept cool, it'll last for two or three years. If it gets hot, it's good for about one year. Okay, I'll I'll keep it in the refrigerator. Do that, and uh, one other thing to try is apple cider vinegar. Uh, mix up a little dilute apple cider vinegar and spray on those yellowed uh, beans. It's uh, one of the, one of the ingredients of garret juice. You could also just use garret juice, but little apple apple cider vinegar sometimes will correct a world of problems. Uh, you know, just a tablespoon or two per gallon. Give that a try on anything that's yellowing like that, and uh, it's a great tonic for things in general. But give that a try where you've got a little bit of yellowing going on in your beans, and see if that doesn't uh, help improve the color, the growth, and the production. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, back to gardening. Probably going to have time just for one call before our interview with Howard Garrett, and that person will be Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Hi, I won't waste any time. Uh, I've got something to say, and I could very well be wrong, Um, plus two questions. 
Okay. Uh, softening the soil with sugar. Uh, plant roots do that. They put out sugars and I guess a whole host of other uh, food like exudates. Uh, scientists are calling them exudates. Uh, right. To feed the microorganisms that then soften your soil. And what uh-huh. they said is every plant puts out its own special exudates, whatever that word is, uh, that attract like a thousand different bacteria and every other different kind of plant will put out its own different kind of exudates that attract another thousand uh, type of bacteria except it doesn't attract just another thousand when you put two different plants together it makes like a billion. Uh, it, uh, it, well, it's you know that's 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 partly accurate and that's partly overstated. Um, okay. Plants very definitely do, and and anything that is exuded from the roots—that's where that word exudate comes from. And there are many different. Would do better to call them carbohydrates than sugars. And there are some that every plant puts out, and there are some that are unique to a given species of plant. But it is. Uh, very definitely beneficial and it's uh, not only the bacteria but one of the principal things that these that this supports in the soil is something we call mycorrhizal fungi now only about 95 percent of the plants out there form associations with mycorrhizae but those in many cases are just as important and perhaps even more important uh, than the many different bacteria but yeah in uh, in good healthy soil you will have up to 20,000 different kinds of bacteria and 10 to 15,000 different kinds of beneficial fungi and the principal thing that they gets them started and keeps them going in the soil are these carbohydrates that are bled out through the roots of plants but they're not that many different sugars so to say that every plant produces its own perhaps its own unique blend but uh it's not every different kind of plant puts out a totally different kind of exudate some of them will have special things that may be attracting or repelling but yes the uh, uh we've known for some time soil scientists have and it's it's an area that is very widely studied and uh, is a very, very good thing. So, yeah, it's uh, you're right. Uh, and we support that to some extent by putting out our own forms of sugar, such as molasses. Uh, that will help with various kinds of microbial life, as will things like different brand meals. But we better get to your questions before we run out of time. I've got on the rose bushes. Individually, little single leaves, not the frond, but just single leaves, all up and down the rose bush will turn yellow. We just, and, you know, and the rest is everything's green, and then here and there, there'll be this one little yellow single leaf all over the plant. Okay, I'm going to have to address that a little later because I'm just out of time. It sounds more like an issue of getting too dry than any kind of disease, but spray with some uh, cornmeal. But as you know, if you've listened for very long at all, uh, we'll save about the last 30 minutes or so of the show for you. But this is the time of the show that we have the privilege of visiting with uh, the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. How's everybody hanging in there? Everybody was sweating like mad yesterday. If heat kills COVID, then uh, 
we should have wiped out a lot of COVID. I don't know how hot it officially got, but my car said 102 when I left the nursery yesterday, and it was 100 most of the way home. So it's a beautiful day today. We're back down in the 50s and just couldn't be a prettier spring morning. But uh, we, we, we got a touch of uh, a touch of summer a little early yesterday. What did you guys have? Yeah, same thing. It was very uh, unusual, to say the least. I'm going to be planning. In fact, I'm writing a column about uh, what to plant right now, and it's time finally, I guess, to get the okra and other really uh, hot-weather-loving plants going. <laughs> I I probably, at least my next day off, I know that's one of the things that's going into my garden because okra is just such a great, good old southern crop, and there's so many fun things to do with it. But, yeah, okra, another crop of bush beans, um squash and cucumbers and peppers and uh i i tell people i don't know what your feelings are but i tell people that the cherry tomatoes once we get this late those are the main things we recommend because the big fruited ones you know slow down on their production when the nights get warm but there's still a lot of stuff i look forward to seeing your column and seeing what all you come up with well, the cherry tomatoes are the main thing I recommend, no matter when you plant them, because they're just they're so so much easier. There's one yeah, little... uh, that that's an heirloom called Risentrop that I've enjoyed in the past. Have you ever tried it? You know, I have not tried that one. I I have either read it in one of your columns or maybe on DirtDoctor.com, but that's one I need to look for. That's not one I've tried before. Yeah, do you, are you uh, do you have any luck starting peppers from seed this uh this late? You certainly can. I don't ever recommend direct seeding peppers, but um there we're still finding that uh that that uh I maybe Garrett Juice would do the same thing. Your commercial pepper growers are all pre-soaking the seed with a little bit of potassium nitrate, but I don't know that Garrett Juice wouldn't do the same thing. But yeah, peppers, you're you're six weeks behind. I always tell people look for transplants if you can find them, but my peppers go all the way up until they freeze in the fall, so uh I don't think it's too late to start the seed by any means. Well, some people are asking those kind of questions, and I'm putting jicama in the column again too. That is, are you still growing it? I knew you, I know you you grew it one year. I've grown it a couple of years. You know, I haven't planted it yet this year, and I need to. I've still got. Uh, I think I've still got some seed. Uh, it's just I don't know. It has been busy. They're just so. So much going on, not just with the COVID stuff, but I just don't remember a busier spring as far as having stuff to do. So you just jog in my memory something else I need to do, and that's get out and plant some hecuma because it does so well. And it's one thing that I think it's important to go ahead and get in. That's one thing that I've never had luck planting in uh, July. I think if you can get it in or April or May, you pretty much always make a good crop. And uh, uh, it's so easy, and it's so delicious. It's uh... well. One, one of the things I'm telling people because there's a lot of new gardeners and kids getting involved with what all is going on. I think that that loofa is a fun thing. Planting squash in general is pretty oh yeah pretty easy, but planting the loofa is a fun one because it's so fast growing and the flowers are edible and really good. And you can either uh, eat the fruit when it's still real young or let it go all the way to maturity you know and turn it into a scrubbing uh, tool. It, it, so, uh, that's a great 
Oh, it's an easy plant, too, because it's one of those little thin vines that doesn't get the squash borers. And uh, it really does make a, a pretty good little scrubber. And, uh, you know, that, that is a great thing to suggest for kids. I'll, I'll recommend that, too. Absolutely. Yeah, to me is, you know, a good one, too. If the seed is available, I don't know how available uh, the seed of it is, but we, Malcolm introduced me to that years ago and it's, it's a good one for sure yeah we we always we we never seem to have a problem getting to tumi seed and like you say it's uh delicious it has it, it you don't have to be as in as much of a hurry to pick it uh you know as you well know zucchini goes from a nice eating size to a baseball bat in about two days that to tumi I'd say you've got as much as 10 days to two weeks of a picking window there, plus it also doesn't get the vine borers. It spreads out a little bit more. It takes up a little bit more room in the garden, but, boy, talk about it. Pretty little pumpkins if you let it. Do it does. Oh, now you're now you're making me want to get out and get a few more things planted. I I tell you, things I've planted early. I've got the most beautiful tomato plants I've had in years. Apparently, the weather's been really good. Uh, I just pulled up my uh, snow peas. They finally that ninety degree day kind of kind of did them in. But uh, you know, snow peas come up. Okra will go into that spot, and uh, I my. Uh, bush beans are just about to start into production, so it's time for me to get another crop of those. And I grow, I don't know about you, but I grow a little different bush bean in the spring than I do in the summer. I, I love the little thin bean they call Tavera. is always my, my favorite seed, but it doesn't do real well in the heat. I'll switch over to Contender or Top Crop or one of those, but... Uh, um, oh, they're just you know a person a person can grow a lot of produce in a fairly small area. What's the one? What's the thin one that likes the cooler weather? It's uh, T is in Tom T A V E R A, and it is the most yeah. Weather, huh? I have not grown that one. Oh, I've got to next spring remind me, and I'll send you some seed because it's just it's thin, it's tender. I'll see if I can get Roberta to part with her recipe for a mustard sauce that she makes to go on after they're cooked. I I can sit here and uh, I'm almost as bad as my my lab that drools when she starts thinking about food. I I almost drool thinking about some of the good stuff we can grow, and and uh, green beans for sure one of them. I may have stumbled onto something. Uh, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and I wanted to tell you all about it so uh, some people can give it a shot and see if it's consistent. But I used, uh, and are y'all selling that uh, Pure Grow product yet? We don't have ready access to it, but I'm I'm told one of our guys says he's found a place to get it, so should be on our shelves in the very near future. Well, what I was going to tell you, you can make homemade, too, if you know, people don't have this product, but the product is uh, would be the easiest way to do it. I transplanted several little trees from my garden. I did a, a big-tooth maple, a couple of them. I have, mm-hmm. had, believe it or not, some little Japanese maples uh, come oh, up wow. the seed. Huh. And I've tra- transplanted them, put them in pots, and I had uh, a, a few, not that many, which is unusual i had so much fruit last year ginkgo so i had uh-huh. about oh, eight or so transplants little plants well the next day 
there was already a uh, squirrel, you know, that had dug one out completely. <laughs> it, it was one of the little ginkgos, and it was one uh-huh. where the ginkgo seed was up on the top of the ground, and it was really going to look cool. And I, you know, started to go get my gun, and I thought, well, I'll try something, something a little different. And I spray. I don't know what made me think about doing it, but I sprayed the. Uh, the pots after I straightened mm-hmm. the one that had been damaged out again. I sprayed them all with this Pure Grow uh, bug stop that I had, uh-huh. and it comes in a ready to use situation. And I haven't had a squirrel touch those things since. It's been over a week now. Wow! So it, and and the active ingredients people can make make their own version of this. Or the active ingredients in the Pure Grow product are cinnamon and clove. So what the best mixture would be, I don't know, and whether it's pure accidental and not going to continue to work, you know, I don't know, but it would sure be worth trying for everybody because that's one of the common problems I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the hot peppers we've used, but it seems like every now and then they develop a taste for that. So this would be a great alternative. And you're never going to hurt anything with cinnamon and cloves. And I found that uh, cinnamon is one of the best things you can use on some of the uh, bacterial diseases uh, that we get. Uh, and thinking about orchids in particular, there's a... Uh, Oh, it's a, a fusarium, I think, that uh, produces a crown rot, and uh, we've always just totally stopped it by just sprinkling cinnamon on it. So you get uh, you get more value than just keeping the squirrels away and anything that has those in it. But yeah, I'll uh, we'll both look for that, but we'll we'll put a note out that people can make their own and just experiment with. Uh, um, I'm, I'm assuming the more finely powdered, the better, but uh, that would certainly be something very very doable. I don't know if you could soak some in water and come up with a little tea. It might be good to try it both ways. I'm, I'm going to call Danny, the uh, owner. <clears throat> he and his dad own the Pure Grow Company. I'm going to run uh-huh. by them and see if they've they've noticed that in the past. And if they haven't, they need to look at it because <laughs> it would certainly be something that you'd want to put on the label if it if it does uh, be, hold up to be consistent. Well, squirrels, and if it stopped squirrels, it probably would stop rats and mice as well because people don't realize what an issue uh, rats and mice can be in the garden too. Um, well, and, and other places, not just the garden, but oh man, a good squirrel, a good squirrel repellent, uh, would be very welcome. So we'll definitely give well, it a try. I heard you talking about the bird, uh, drilling holes in the arbor early on. Uh-huh. You know, if it, if it does squirrels, it might even help with, uh, with birds that uh, that create a problem too, so it's going to be worth looking into. May not work, but it's worth a try. Well, uh, you know, anecdotal evidence is how we how we get started on a lot of things, and sometimes we end up taking one idea, modifying it a little bit. And if it works against birds, and you know, ask them about that too, because of course birds don't taste heat, so our, our pepper teas right. don't work against the birds at all. So if that works against birds. You know, you've just got a whole, you've just opened up a whole new range of uses for a, a very simple, safe product. Speaking of birds, Judy's really irritated right now at a bird <laughs> that we have in our garden. It, uh-huh. it has this monotonous, really strong, shrill, and I called Tony. Tony is into birds big time. Uh-huh. I heard museum and everything. He said, it's a t- 
tough to tit mouse is what it is, and we <laughs> yeah. finally got a, got a good enough view of it to see that that is what it is, and it's a beautiful little bird, but boy, it, it does have an obnoxious song. Well, the, yeah, between that and a couple of the wrens that do the same thing, yep. sure makes you appreciate the uh, uh, the repertoire of a mockingbird where you don't have to hear the same thing over and over, but no, that... That little titmouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that is funny because they oh they can be irritating, and uh, because it is like you say it's just over and over, yeah. and right yeah, now wow. with with mating and nesting season it's just a constant out in the yard so i can i have a mental picture of judy versus the bird so uh that's funny tell her send tater after it or or nelly one nelly with the with her tree climbing ability she might be able to do something about that she probably would try to. And then we've got uh, birds that she's really into across the street. We've got a crow's nest. And the first thing that's interesting about the crow's nest is it looks like a crow's nest in the top of a ship. Uh-huh. You know, it, it's, it's thinner at the bottom and wider at the top. It's pretty funny. But anyway, we've got about three uh, babies that look like they're about to take wing in there, and it's been kind of interesting to watch the the parents fly away when anybody gets near. I guess try uh-huh. to get, you know, have whoever it is follow them instead of hanging around the uh, the crow's nest. And and crows are one of the smartest birds out there. Is anybody who's had them raid their corn patch or their pecans or anything else, they will tell you that crows are one of the hardest birds to fool. I'll never forget, there was an article many years ago, I think in Field and Stream magazine, and it was uh, tongue-in-cheek written, but it was how to hunt crows. And you set up three blinds out there, and then you get a group of 20 people, and four of them run to this blind, five of them run to this blind. And anyway, it's just this its just this shell game where all these people keep running back and forth and back and forth, and the ultimate end game is to confuse a crow and have one guy left out there in the blind to take a shot at the crow. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, and they oh they are they are smart and thieves I mean they will steal anything bright and shiny and uh, oh <laughs> crows if they're not after your stuff it's downright interesting but I've I've watched them sit people you know taking a picnic somewhere and leaving it slightly untended and they will go pull the covers off of things and I know all the restaurants down here if they have crows and even the grackles they they don't put out the little packs of sugar anymore without putting a cover over them because the birds will come in and steal them three packs at a time so anyway getting a little carried away but just thinking about crows I I imagined uh, that will make for some humorous moments before it's all over with. We have a lot of them around here all the time, and they're good, uh, you know, to clean up the uh, roadkill and everything else. They'll eat just about anything, I guess. But they're oh, really yeah. pretty birds too. They're uh, they're uh, really really good looking. I guess the ravens are about the same, but we don't uh, have. I don't guess we have them around here. They're more of a western. Bird. Yeah, 
Hills, western and a little northwestern. Plus, they I've never known Raisins to really be a rural bird. I mean, an uh, urban bird. They're certainly more rural. Whereas crows are adaptive. Anywhere there's anywhere there are people, there will be crows around. And uh, I can't remember if it was crows or ravens. There's a hilarious uh, video on YouTube. Something about a uh, one of the uh, old-fashioned car washes uh, that you you know put quarters into the slot, and they thought a person was in there stealing quarters out of the thing overnight and they put up a camera because they'd lost like a thousand dollars worth of money out of the machine over a period of a few weeks and it I, that might have been a raven rather than a crow but it turned out to be a pair of them that apparently just for amusement as much as anything they found a way to get in underneath and steal the money and they got up on the roof and they found that you know like over in the corner of the roof there was a pile of like a thousand dollars worth of quarters that these birds had just stolen out of the machine. If you if you can somehow Google that on YouTube, it is hilarious to watch these birds and what they go through in their thievery. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Uh, uh, just a couple of gardening things I wanted to ask you about. Are you guys seeing much in the way of lawn diseases this spring? Seems like we're seeing a little oh, yeah, bit more rhizoctonia. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's huge. I wrote a column about it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it, it there's uh, like a brown patch that uh, has hit the zoysia, and mm-hmm. uh, in the St. Augustine grass, it's big, and it's take-all patch. I've written uh, about it you know, recently. I've never seen it uh, quite as bad. I think it's the rain and the, uh, the fact that some people keep their sprinkler systems going, even though it's oh, raining yeah. so much. And using the synthetic fertilizers, I don't think the organic people have the problem near as bad. And I, you know, did another big plug for using cornmeal and using the mm-hmm. techniques that we recommend. Well, we're the same way. We don't see as much of it in the organic lawns. We're seeing even a little bit there, and uh, we're just, you know, going alternating the corn water tea and the garret juice, and it seems to be controlling it pretty well. And of course, it'll. At least the brown patch will be much less of a problem as we get warmer. Take all patches, it can continue into the summer, but there's one more reason to stay 100% organic in your fertilization program because I think that's, I think the synthetic nitrogen is the biggest contributor. But throw in, you know, cloudy, drizzly days, watering too often and too lightly, and uh, just all the things we talked about not doing, uh, so many people still do. Yeah, and I think we talked last week about the fact that the uh, universities are recommending this, this toxic chemical is oxystrobin, and yeah, instead yeah. of peat moss, they've gone away from peat moss now, and uh, it's just not a good thing to do. You've got to remember that the toxic uh, pesticides, the uh, uh, these uh, disease control things, kill microorganisms, you know, just mm-hmm. the opposite of what we're trying to do is to stimulate biological activity and people don't think about that they don't they don't think that uh, realize that those things are indiscriminate they can't tell a good microbe from a bad microbe well it's it's the reason that we as people anytime you have to take a strong antibiotic you better follow it up with some pretty good probiotics and talk to somebody that 
said, now, I don't know if there's anything to it, but uh, somebody that is very active in vegetable gardening told me that they were using a human probiotic, and I don't know which one. It was a brand I wasn't familiar with, but they had started using that in their vegetable garden and felt like they had some of the best growth that they had ever had. And, of course, I guess, you know, that the, that the good beneficial bacteria and fungi uh, that affect plants would probably be benefited by, you know, some of the things that we use for our own gut uh, microflora. Yeah, it just goes along with what we talk about all the time. Any time you can stimulate biological activity. That's why your caller earlier talking about sugars, it sounds yeah. like she was almost going to a point talking <laughs> negatively about sugar, but there's nothing negative about putting out anything you can put out that will stimulate biological activity because nature will balance it for you. It would be very difficult to create a problem um, using that technique. Well, and pretty much all the organic techniques. But uh, it's just, you know, I guess people have known about it a long time, but it seems like in the past 10 or 15 years, even even the chemical folks are learning more about the benefits of mycorrhizae, about the benefits of the biological life in the soil, to the point that even some of the big chemical companies are coming out with their own, uh, you know, so-called organic things, but uh, they still don't, there's still nothing better than the basic pro- organic program that you and I recommend, and uh, and products like Garrett Juice, products like our really good organic fertilizers and uh, it's just always amazing to me when these people act like they suddenly discovered something that we've been talking about for years well they're behind the curve too they'll talk about stuff yeah. that we used to recommend uh, instead of the things that we're learning about every day hey one real quick question too i just got an email about and i have this every year and it's wisteria not not blooming and mm-hmm. of course the the thing about was any plant to get it to bloom that I've stumbled into that'll set buds and, and help flowering more than anything is the garret juice. It's amazing how well it, it helps there. But I, on the other hand, we just hear about that too often. Is there a possibility that the that the cuttings, the source plant that they're making the wisteria cuttings from, is just a a cultivar or whatever that won't bloom here, that doesn't like our soil and doesn't like our weather enough to bloom. Well, it absolutely is a very definite concern, and I think it's mainly the old Wisteria chinensis. Most of what is being marketed, especially, you know, these mail order things are northern plants, and we simply don't have the cold winters. Now, you get a really cold winter, everybody's Wisteria seems to bloom well, but, uh, uh, it's harder to find, but, you know, we still recommend the old Texas wisteria when anybody can find it because it's very, very similar. And uh, I I think you'll find that the people that aren't getting theirs to bloom are are ones that have bought it from uh, further north. And I, I don't think there's any doubt about it that uh, most of it is just uh, it just needs more chilling than we typically have in the winter. So there's really nothing that can be done uh, <laughs> Weather cooperates. That's kind of what I thought too. 
Yeah, well, to just once again tell people if they if they have somebody in the neighborhood that has a wisteria, because I know there's a big one down at the San Antonio Botanical Garden that just covers an arbor, and uh, I've had very little luck getting them to try to propagate it. But and one of our big nurseries that used to propagate a local one, they had one on the front fence of the nursery property that just bloomed up a storm every spring, and then they sold that property and moved. So we just really need need to encourage because you can grow wisteria from cuttings if you do it at the right time of the year but people should people should you know be watching not just the first year because and and that's what i hear so much is you know the first year it was beautiful and it had bloomed since then and they're getting these plants that have already had their chilling that have been shipped down from up north so the first year they do great but anybody that knows where there's one that blooms well year after year after year man we need to get it and propagate it and spread it around I wonder if pr- propagating it like we do figs and grapes uh, as the buds swell late winter would be the best time to try to find it. I think that's absolutely the best time. Uh, okay. Treat it, in fact, treat it just like you do a grapevine. And uh, uh, and then if it starts to, because, you know, sometimes the cuttings will try to bloom. I always pinch the buds and flowers off because I wanted to put its effort into into roots uh, and foliage and uh, but no, I think that's that. In my experience, is by far the best time to do it. And anybody that's got you know a mist system or anything, some of these commercial guys could do it a lot more easily than you and I can do it at home. But uh, but you certainly can do it successfully. Well, good stuff as always. Let's do this again next week. What do you say? I think next Saturday morning we uh, can look forward to that. And uh, oh, let me ask you one more thing, real, real quickly. I'm getting a lot of questions about people with, uh, you know, wormy fruit in their peaches. And I always recommend a heavy mulch on the ground seems to reduce that. Do you have specific things that you tell people to cut down on uh, on on worms and fruit? Absolutely. When I get to see the plants where people are having problems, they're too, the plants are too deep in the ground, usually yeah. by a lot. Get right. the bases uncovered dramatically and do the sick tree treatment, and you won't have any worm or disease problems hardly at all. Well, that's been my answer, and I'm glad to have it confirmed. You guys have a <laughs> have a wonderful week, and tell Judy the nesting season will pass soon, and that titmice will go to being an occasional problem instead of a constant one. And uh, and do 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 send Nellie after it. I think she might uh, speak to it to it in a good way. <laughs> we'll uh, give you a report. See you next. <laughs> Look forward to Howard. Thank you so much. It would come on. All right, let's get back to gardening and to the phone lines. It's going to be Lydia and Robin and Robert and Beverly. Lydia's first. Good morning. Morning Saturday, Mr. Bob. How are you today? Wonderful. I've been trying to reach you, and I'm lucky today that I have. Very good. How can I help? Two questions. You've been Uh my garden doctor for my celery. I have been fencing my celery, one celery, uh, upright. Uh, How would I cut it and when will it grow again? Second, I've got chickens and Mm -hmm. unbelievable. I have tomatillos growing like wildflowers (laughs) in the backyard. Very good. I do not know how to care for them. Well, basically, yeah, basically on the tomatillos grow up just like you would a tomato. In fact, the common name is a husk tomato, and that's what they uh, 
you know, uh, basically the same thing that will make a tomato grow and be very productive, which is good, bright sunlight. You'll need to cage them or support them. They won't get as tall as, uh, you know, an indeterminate tomato, but they'll they'll get eh, two, maybe even three feet tall. But if you grow tomatoes, you should be able to grow tomatillos, you know, very well. Now, back to the celery for a moment. Are you growing the leaf celery or the stalk celery? Because they're really two different plants, even though the culture is pretty much the same. Uh, back in the five months ago in December, I bought mm-hmm. organic celery, cut uh-huh. the bottom off, put it in warm water, and have been be- uh, catering and babying it with your guys. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it is. It is unfortunately a cool weather plant. It's not going to really like the hot Texas summer. Uh, you're going to get much better quality. What what you're getting, you know, it's kind of like an asparagus. The portion we eat is the portion that would grow up and make more foliage up on top. So um, just during the cooler weather, the hot weather, celery can tend to be very bitter, and so it's just not as good to harvest. But it will make sort of like a big clump, a big stalk, and um, you can just, you know, harvest uh, the the stems as they come up. You harvest the ones from the outside, and it will continue to make more on the inside. But um, when the weather gets really hot, I would give it a little bit of shade. I would fertilize. I would water regularly. But kind of like picking you no know, leaves from uh, chard or from kale, just pick the portion from the outside, whether you're using the, the leafy foliage part, which is quite tasty, or whether you're actually using the big old thing you can use to stir a Bloody Mary. Just harvest from the outside and let it continue to make new growth from the inside. Okay. Remember, I made my homemade plastic bottle container. So right. it was going in and out of the shed. So uh, I mean, I'm sure you talked to millions of people, but I expect you to remember me because I'm not Yo. a gardener. <laughs> you are a gardener. You just you just don't take credit for it, but you're a good gardener, Lydia. And well, you enjoy your... If my concern is the tomatillos, you asked me to, you know, fence them, which I've never uh-huh. done tomatoes in my life. There's just too, I mean, too many. Well, just, uh, just the ones that you want to stave and harvest from, at the very least, get some little stakes that you can use to uh, keep them a little bit more upright. Otherwise, we'll get a big wind, we'll get some driving rain or something or other, and it'll just beat them down. So I, I guess I should I say support them yeah it it doesn't have to be a cage it can be a stake and uh they make some new velcro water very thoroughly water very thoroughly when you water when that soil's dry about half an inch deep it's time to water again when daytime nighttime or doesn't really matter just try not to water the foliage just water the ground but uh you water when you can whenever that soil's about half an inch deep water it thoroughly again to be picky now well Thank you. Uh, I cannot believe I'm doing this at a late age. Well, it'll keep you young, so you keep it up, Liddy. And let's go ahead and talk to Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Good morning Bob. Good morning. Um, I have a question about okay. uh, raising butterflies. Okay. I have uh, some uh, passion vines, uh-huh. and it's in a, in a cage. 
and uh, we're trying to get, we have some uh, golf fritillaries. Yeah. Anyway, and we've got spider mite in there. We've got, we got the vines in, in a bottle of water and, mm-hmm. and the uh, eggs are, so we have eggs and then we have chrysalises on the edge of the container. Uh-huh. Uh, but we've got I think we've got spider mites in the um on the on the um passion vine. And well we don't know how <laughs> you, you want to control the spider mites safely without hurting your caterpillars, in other words. Exactly. Um exactly. what you need to do is every couple of weeks spray your passion vine with liquid seaweed. About two tablespoons okay. of liquid seaweed to a gallon of water. Okay. Okay. And that will be harmless to your caterpillars, and the way it works, it doesn't kill the spider mites, but it toughens the leaf on the passion vine to where the spider mites can't affect it. Won't affect your caterpillars at all, but we use liquid seaweed to control spider mites on everything from tomatoes to beans to passion vine, and uh, that will not harm your caterpillars in any way, but it will... Um, and always start early in the spring. You're kind of a little behind at this point, but just about every two weeks, spray them down, two stable spoons of liquid seaweed to a gallon of water, be harmless to the caterpillars, and run the spider mites off. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your program greatly. Well, okay. I appreciate your call, and <laughs> you get out and have a wonderful right. Saturday. Thank you so much, okay. Robin. Well, as usual, this three and a half hours has absolutely flown by once again. A big thank you to Don for everything he's doing back in the studio. We'll have time to talk to Robert and Beverly, but let me remind you that we do this again tomorrow morning from 8 until 11, talking about plants. And uh, then, of course, I have the pleasure of sitting in with Dr. Kirby talking about pets from uh, 11 until noon. But right now, let's just uh, take a couple of more phone calls. Robert's up first. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Been Good morning. Standing in the garden, down here in the garden on the west side of the house, and my tomatoes started off great. They're looking looking fine, looking good, putting on fruit. Uh, but as the new leaves tend to, to grow up, uh, they're all shriveled up and small, and some of them have a little brown around the edges. Um, Are they kind of twisted and twisted and gnarly looking? No, not necessarily twisted. They kind of look uh, just, uh, I, I don't know, my wife says something about maybe white flies or something like that, that we, we could cause something like that. And, and there are some little white specks that flit around when I, when I move around. Well, there there are two possibilities, and uh, insects like white fly are troubling, but they're generally not going to really severely impact the growth you may get a little bit of stunting but um and you can of course can uh uh you know just use a little spinosad soap uh just you know spray the tops of the tomatoes won't affect your ability to eat the tomatoes at all spinosad soap is one of the best things out there for controlling white flies i just if the growth looks at all abnormal I'm concerned about a virus disease that tomatoes get, and the common name of it is curly top, and that's why I was asking if the leaves seem at all twisted or abnormal growth. If you see that show up, 
I mean, most of the people just tell you, oh, you just have to pull them up and start over. We find that you can totally control that with hydrogen peroxide, just uh, grocery store peroxide, two parts water, one part peroxide, uh, will control the, the virus and will let the plants go on growing and producing. But if you're not seeing any what I would call abnormal growth. If it's just the growth seems to not be as healthy as usual, it could be the white fly and your spinosad soap should take care of that completely and easily. And uh, like I say, it's not a toxic product to people or pets, so uh, perfectly safe to use. Yeah, like I said, I've got four of them just in this one area that tend to have that that problem. Different varieties, uh, some are large-fruited, some are uh, cherry tomatoes. But Mm -hmm. like I said, the... The bottom part, when it first started growing, is great. But the new growth, it just, they're like withered or just yeah. kind of a well, light green uh, instead of a dark green and with veining of the darkness in it. Just, and that that's kind of typical of virus because it always seems to spread up instead of spreading down. So get yourself, you know, it's golly, buy a quart of it for a buck or two at the grocery store. Get some hydrogen peroxide. Uh, don't do it in the hot part of the afternoon, but either morning or evening. Dilute it two parts water to one part peroxide and just spray the top of the plants with it. And let me know in about two weeks if we've seen any change in the way they're doing. Easy enough. Thanks again, Bob. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Always good to hear from you, Robert. Hope that controls it. I look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you, sir. All right. Let's finish up phone calls today with Beverly. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. You know what? We've been having a lot of flies lately. I don't know if everybody does, but everybody does. In the house, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was wondering. uh, We have an electric bug zapper. Can you use that in the house, or is it not safe? Ah, it would be safe, but I don't know that it would do real well on flies. It uh, The bug zappers, you know, tend to get uh, beetles and June bugs and, you know, sometimes mosquitoes. And unfortunately, they're real hard on some beneficial insects. But uh, you could try it on flies. I'm just not real sure how effective it would be now outside the best spray that i know of for flies is that same spinosad that we talk about for other things it's uh derived from a soil bacteria it kills flies very very well but it's totally harmless to people and pets now i wouldn't spray it around inside your house i don't think it'd be that effective but if you have a given area where you see the flies congregating outside spray with some spinosad and that'll greatly reduce their numbers Okay, and one more fast one. Uh, let's see, we have an oak tree in the backyard, and it's not really big, probably maybe the size of the trunk of a small coffee can, but okay. it has brown leaves and on some parts of it, and some is green. So my husband went and got cornmeal, and he put it around it. I don't know if that's a problem, but uh, so w- what do you think? You think it's... Well, cornmeal certainly didn't hurt anything. Is this a live oak or a red oak? A, a live oak, uh-huh, a live oak. Okay. Um, I would, first of all, check the base of the tree and be sure that that root flare is exposed. Yeah, because... he, he exposed that really good. <clears throat> okay. Then, um, and is it just like a cluster of leaves here and there? It's just turned turn totally brown? Yeah, like one whole section of of a branch of leaves is just really brown, and yeah. and then um, there's other parts of the tree that's really pretty and green. So yeah, I that's, don't understand that's, that. That's drought damage. 
Um, just, you know, water it thoroughly, thoroughly, deeply. I mean, even if you have to turn on the sl- hose on slowly overnight, um, that's not a serious problem. But, you know, I saw this. Uh, I, I've got huge oak trees on my property, and uh, I first learned about this several years ago because uh, my creek dries up sometime in the summer, and it was just an absolutely super hot dry summer and i started having these little spots just all over these enormous oak trees which just you know just the end of a branch will be uh solid brown dead leaves and i got a friend of mine who's a really good tree guy came out he said that's just drought damage he said when your creek has water back in it said uh you'll stop seeing any of that show up so do what you can to thoroughly thoroughly water that tree and um that's all you're looking at it's not a serious problem but uh, the kind of rains we've have kept the surface of the ground moist but we haven't had a good soaking rain which is what the trees need in quite a long time so uh, a little thorough deep watering and that problem should come to a halt